Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited for today. We are just going to get right to it. So let me tell you a little bit about my guest today and his everyday innovator style, because for all of us everyday innovators out there, I, I really want you listening actually with two ears. First, I want you listening for yourself and how you drive innovation, how you think differently, how you create a problem solve. What I've really come to realize in our research and in my years of work is that when we do it intentionally, our ability to innovate gets stronger. Um, And oftentimes when people say to me, well, I'm not innovative, what they're really saying is I haven't practiced in a while. So I want you to listen for how you innovate. And then the second year I actually want you to listen with is the people around you. We have everyday innovators of all different styles on this show. And what I think is kind of cool about that is what I actually get out, part of what I get out of it, aside from the brilliant insights that the guests give me, is actually understanding how other people innovate and how to connect and collaborate with them. So listen with both of those ears. With that said, let me tell you just about our guests' everyday innovator style, which is inquisitive collaborative. So the inquisitive side is all about challenging assumptions. While a lot of us play on the surface, if you've got inquisitive as part of your power trigger, you tend to be like, but how come it's like that? But why? For the rest of us who get to tend to get trapped in assumptions, as an inquisitive, you dig deep and you pull back the layers. And then the collaborative side is all about pulling disparate people and ideas and experiences together. I like to think of collaboratives as gatherers, and they have all these different pieces, and they pull them together to create a complete picture. So the magic in that combination is bringing deep, whole innovation to the table. The other thing I'll say, by the way, for you collaboratives out there is you tend to be really good at getting buy-in. Because you pull in so many perspectives all the time, it's how you innovate. You also get people along for the journey with you, and you tend to get stronger buy-in. So. With that said, Taylor, welcome to the show. Tell the world who you are and what you do. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for that amazing introduction and for everybody's ears. Um, my name is Tim McCartan. I, uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called BinBreeze, where we basically take waste wood uh, that would otherwise be burnt, and we amend it with minerals and create a uh, consumer product for use in household food waste diversion or compost bins. So basically, we make it very easy to compost your food waste and separate it from the garbage. Um, and we do so actually using waste materials that we've upcycled. And I apologize if you can hear the coffee grinder of the Starbucks that I'm in. <laughs> you know, I can hear it, but I should have said that at the beginning when I were talking about this. You're traveling at a Starbucks and I'm traveling at a ranch. So who knows what sounds are going to come up in, the, in our background. But that, hey, you know what? That's, that's the world we live in. Is like we have to do stuff on the go. So here we are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, hey, I have a question for you, Taylor. How did you How did you get into this area, um, and how did you figure out the method? Yeah. How did you figure out the method? Okay. Well, those are both fantastic questions. Um, to, to answer the first question, uh, really, at the end of the day, I I reached a point where I I kind of had a moment of, of clarity or an epiphany, and I realized that. Um, climate change was more of a, a human rights issue than an environmental issue. Um, and that really uh, altered my, my perspective into to one that's 
um, focused around climate change entirely. And I came home one day and I discovered a compost bin that uh, was so disgusting and had so many fruit flies that I, I thought, well, here's a behavior that's great for the planet. But And people in Canada are, are told that they have to separate their food waste from the trash. But it's not something that they're educated well on why they're doing it. It's not very rewarding. Um, and it's, it's kind of gross. And so if I can, if I can find a solution to that problem, then I can do good for the world and I can create a business out of it. Um, so for a while I tried to invent the perfect compost bin, um, which doesn't exist, um, yet. <laughs> um, although I, we have some ideas, uh, but basically the more I learned about the problem, the more I learned it was, uh, it was, you know, not something that I could, I could fix in this way and that I needed to learn more. I did a lot of research. I ended up going up to my university nearby um, where I was living and uh, and sitting in the back of a chemistry class. And uh, after the class ended, I, I started talking to the professor and I threw out my idea. And what do you know, um, he happened to be the guy that I hired to look into it for a little bit. And he came back to me and said, listen, you don't have to pay me. I want to start the company with you. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was that was a huge moment for me. And um and I, I basically used it as a as a you know, project as a concept for for business school. And then after I graduated, I, I went to the farmers market with our first uh, you know minimum viable product. And people's reaction was such that it was kind of the first thing, first time that everyone actually said they really liked my idea. <laughs> if that makes sense, you know, I have a hundred ideas a day, but this was one that you know really got a different reaction from everybody I talked to about it. And that's how I I started following that chain, and then. You know, I was very fortunate. I kept asking for help from the right people. I felt like your your profile really hit me on the head and that I'm a very curious person and I'll spend hours doing research into things that I have absolutely no business doing research into. Um, and then, you know, I'm very fortunate that I've got this ability to bring people in and help me um, and, and inspire them to, to join me on my mission that, that's gotten me this far. So what's a, a win or something that you're most proud of with all this? Gosh, good question. Um, I think uh, I think what I'm most proud of is that I haven't uh, you know lost sight of the larger vision for the company. There's kind of this this upfront vision of of what we're trying to do for people's food waste bins and making them not smell and not get fruit flies and not get gross and things like that. But there's a larger vision to that, which is actually uh, creating better soils uh, for agriculture and creating better soils out of that food waste. And that's the vision that actually you know, went into the product creation and why we've been able to go into the market is because the composting facilities and everybody wants us to be in there. And there's a better source as opposed to, you know, whatever chemicals someone might put in their food waste to make it not stink. Um, so that that's starting from the beginning with thinking about all those different parties is what, uh, I'm most proud of because now we're able to, to to do so much more. If that makes sense. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. How do you balance uh, as a new business, a new product in the market, and, and one that is a behavior change, and uh, maybe not what we already know, right? Like to your point, you you even said like I started by looking at the bins because that's what we all think of immediately, right? And you realize there was a different opportunity or a better way to do it. But how do you balance that? staying true or maintaining that long-term vision and getting the short-term gains that you need to move forward? <laughs> How do I balance that? Um, I would say that, you know, sometimes it's like pulling, pulling a horse that doesn't want to move um, a little bit. And that, you know, I, I've kind of got this, 
this convoluted job where I'm both responsible for making sure my team executes on the tasks that we set out in our annual planning sessions and quarterly sessions and whatnot, but simultaneously also trying to tease them with ideas and pull them towards my greater vision for what I believe that the company can do, um, which sometimes can be a distraction and sometimes can be frustrating because, you know, they just want to focus on what's in front of them. Um, but so I, I think what I'm trying to say is I don't, um, perhaps, but at the end of the day, um, the reason that the way that, that we run our company is through a, a great software called 90.io that allows us to, you know, track the data in the business week by week and that we're accountable to that data. Um, and that's how we keep things grounded or I keep grounded. So I really appreciate what you said about sometimes it's a distraction and I'll never forget. I used to have this boss. He owned the consulting firm. I was a vice president. And every time he went away to his, I think they were EO entrepreneur weekends. We all dreaded him coming back because we knew right that he meant <laughs> like he was off and running to some new idea. And we were still busy trying to finish what came out of the last meeting. You know, we were still executing on that, but I do think, as a leader, if you can recognize that there's a little bit of push-pull and that push-pull, at least what I heard you say, is actually okay. Like it's okay to have a little bit of resistance. It's okay to have those ideas, maybe even compete a little bit, but recognizing that every time you come with a new idea, not everyone's going to jump on board immediately. Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually something now, um, you know, we had a great session with uh, with a, a really fantastic entrepreneur who's been responsible for a lot of the food waste diversion programs in Canada. And it was one of those opportunities where in that meeting, I got to talk to the larger vision and he really understood it and got it. And then I could see my team also, you know, drawing the lines together that they hadn't seen necessarily before um, that. So, you know, I think it's about trust and faith and things like that as well. And um, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, if you do have that larger vision, it's important to be tactful with when you <laughs> talk about it. Yeah. So. No, I think that I, I do think that's an important point because we we bring the people on our team in to execute also. Um, and they need to be connected and have purpose, but also they need to do what they have right in front of them. So we all do. So I, I do yeah. think it's balance. Um, when you well, think actually, about, do you mind? One that just reminded me of a great thing my quote, coach always says to me, which is that you didn't hire these people to tell them what to do, you hired them to tell you what to do. Uh, um, which I also find, uh, you know, really relevant, especially because so many of the people that I work with, I know are way smarter than me. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, and don't you think it's important, um, to hire people who you think are smart, but also have different opinions and perspectives in you? Oh, a hundred percent, 110%. I, I can't tell you, uh, I actually think that before I did business school, um, I, I wouldn't have said I had that collaborative skill set. And it was something that I developed at, uh, at UVic because um, of working with people I didn't want to. <laughs> as, as most business students learn in any kind of case-based environment or where they're in group environments, you're almost kind of deliberately paired up with individuals of, of different backgrounds and, and skill sets in order just to cultivate that exact feeling. Um, you just resent it at the time. <laughs> now, uh when I was in college, and this was many, many years ago, but I was working on a team project with a guy that just was a deadbeat. Like he just, he was, you know, we, like we pulled him along. And I remember at the time being so annoyed, like, why is he even at the university? Why? And, and upon reflection, I wish I'd taken that opportunity to, to hone my skills because it, when I got into the work world, I realized, first of all, I don't like everybody I work with. I can't always. And hey, guess what? The, their differing opinions and approaches are actually valuable. 
and help strengthen it. Um, but you got to realize that at the time. So I'm curious, um, in bringing this to market, what, what innovative thing or thinking differently did you do to kind of move the needle, stand out from competition? And, and I think particularly this is important with, a, with something, like I said, that's a, that's a new to the world kind of idea. How do you get people on board for, for something that they haven't wow. yet? Great questions. Um, so it's interesting, you know, like, uh, I was taught one of the ways to, you know, market the product as a sustainable product, um, was to completely avoid the sustainable value proposition of it and to focus entirely on what the actual tangible value I'm delivering to my customers are, um, and, and focus on that value. And the sustainability is really the icing in that sense. You shouldn't, you know, and so, um, when I think about bin breeze, I'm dealing with, uh, problems that are very emotionally sensitive to them. Um, and when they, you know, pick up the bo- the bag or the box in order to purchase the product, the sustainability is kind of the, the clincher. Um, but that really is what we did differently in that, you know, there could be a hundred different products out there that could deodorize your compost bin, but there's only one product out there that was, you know, specifically designed to make better compost. It's actually made from waste carbon. So you're sequestering carbon every time you use it. And it was designed to, to not only make better agricultural uh, compost downstream, but also, regardless of whether or not you're the one making the compost, but also um, to actually help the facilities themselves process the waste. So, for example, um, we did a study with an interior uh, facility where we cut the methane and odor emissions of their actual facility by a third. Wow. Um, and so here in Canada, where there's these composting facilities everywhere, and often they take in meat. Um it's odor is a major issue for the communities. And so, you know, just solving this minor issue in the, in someone's kitchen bin has enabled this huge swath, you know, swath of research that we've been able to, to conduct uh, where there's so much more opportunity. Um, another thing I'm really passionate about right now is, is how COVID-19 has affected food waste. It's not being produced in the same places. The office buildings aren't producing as much food waste. Um, and there's a, an opportunity for us to disrupt the market that's currently sending trucks to pick up empty bins. So by stabilizing the food waste on site, we're able to reduce the frequency of a pickup. Um, and that's a direct cost and greenhouse gas reduction and uh, operational efficiency for you know the whole system. Um, but anyway, I'm getting excited and distracted from your question. No, no, no. That's <laughs> great. It just as you were saying that, it was making me think that, you know, one of the things that I think makes Binbreeze so powerful and kind of what you're saying, the story that I just like I want us to all start thinking about is the trickle effect a really valuable product can have on a market. And oftentimes it's not just like, oh, look, that trinket is so clever. But the really, truly great ones, I think, then have value in places that maybe you didn't even realize. Exactly. You had one vision and then it's like, oh my gosh, there's all these other applications. And I I think- Classic example. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, and I I think one of the the things that we miss sometimes is looking at the opportunity as, okay, here's where I was headed with this, but what are like two degrees over to the left or right that I could actually leverage this for? And so when you're talking about the trucks, that's what kind of came to mind for me. Yeah, you know, 100% just to riff on that. Um, you know, one of the things that I didn't necessarily think of at the very beginning, because because I was, my father was a carpenter, his father was a carpenter. There's a lot of wood waste in my life, all produced by industrial sources. And that's the wood waste I was thinking of. But now as we grow, we're starting to speak with people, you know, at like FireSafe BC, who are actually looking to, or FireSmart BC, who are actually looking to clear slash 
um, and help reduce the severity of wildfires and really create a more circular forest system altogether where, you know, um, more of the tree is, is used because the truth is about half, half of our trees are, are wasted every time we cut one. Um, and so finding a use for that material is just like, you know, an excellent market. And it's one that's, that's so relevant right now in California and British Columbia, like anywhere there's wildfires. Um, so that, that's something I'm, I'm getting excited about because we have this rare opportunity to actually use slash in the product, whereas other wood products won't have that capability. What type of resistance or I guess in the other side, excitement, did you get when you brought Bin Breeze to market that surprised you? Ooh, good questions. Um, you know, one thing I noticed was that um, fruit flies are not such a big issue for as Canadians as they are British Columbians and on the West Coast of, of BC, where we grow a lot of fruit. Um, and one thing that really surprised me was how focused on odor it was. Um, and another thing that surprised me was actually focused around, you know, logistics, which is how often are people actually taking the compost bin out? Because um, it, you know, a bachelor like myself, uh, only fills his compost bin once a week. And I shouldn't have to take it out every day. And Bin Breeze allows me to just treat it and let it sit and without any sort of other conditions. And so it's actually made composting more efficient in, in, in that sense for me. I use less bags, you know, um, less less trips down the elevator if you're in a condo, things like that. So, you know, I, I, honestly, the whole thing has been like a massive learning experience. And I, I hope every entrepreneur listening who thinks, you know, like they've got that idea, just just start the process and you'll never know where it might lead you because you could discover something you totally didn't expect, but this is a hugely valuable opportunity. I'm a big fan of taking ideas off of PowerPoint presentations and into the market. And you had said in the beginning about going to a, a, a fair, right? A market. Yeah. A farmer's farmer's market. market. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the things that we used to do with companies that when I was in the consulting world that I loved is we used to do kiosks in malls. So at least in the US, right, we have all these little kiosks in the middle, right? And they have all these different like products. And they're kind of where you expect to find different new innovative products because it's all these random vendors. Well, we used to take mock products there. Really, we had nothing to sell, but we would pretend. And that way, and we would tell people, like, we wouldn't sell anything really, but we would at least like understand people's response in a very real way versus like, here's my PowerPoint presentation of what's possible. And I think that's a, I think you got to get out there and like, to your point, really see how things, how people react to things, what they like, what they don't like, uses that you would have never thought of, but you don't get that in a conference room. Definitely not. I mean, I, I can't believe the number of free revenue companies that get funded these days um, just on ideas that they haven't gone out and vetted and that a phone call could often, you know, pierce. And and in, I believe in killing ideas. You know, you need your idea to fail fast um, and then you can iterate on it and, and do it better. Um, and so, you know, for us and, and for, for the way that my family was, when I told my parents I wanted to start a company, they're like, okay, go sell something. You know, um, they, there was no, there was no, you know, great big thing. And so we went out to the farmer's market and at that time we didn't know if it was going to be this world changing thing. We just thought it was a neat way of, of dealing with compost. And, um, it wasn't until people came back to our second or third markets who had, had already purchased the product at the first one. And that's when we were like, wow, you know, that's when we had people talking about how amazing and, and innovative and how needed something like this was. Um, and that's when we, you know, knew to continue and, and, and had that certainty. And that also helped us, you know, build support with others because we weren't just basing everything on assumptions. 
Yeah. We were real people. I love it. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on with Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. So let's flip it. What's an obstacle you faced and how did you overcome it? Um. I'm a, I'm a big fan of a book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And uh, every I love that, you know, you write down a list of obstacles and you've actually just created a list of things to do. Uh, I love that mentality. And um, I really like getting around obstacles. My number one way of getting around obstacles is people. <laughs> um, I like to ask for help. Uh, I like to call people who... I, you know, I know it's called cold calling. I did a cold calling job, you know, right when I graduated school, I think that maybe helped broke a barrier for me because now when I'm curious about something, I pick up the phone and it's resulted in, you know, immense, immensely beneficial conversations for me and my business in ways that I never expected. At one point I got 150 free hats for real, for real. How did that even happen? Um, I called up the owner of Pentry the uh the eco label brand and uh i pitched him a slogan for his hats that uh, made fun of donald trump and he really loved it so he sent me 153 hats and sold a lot sold a lot of hats too that's funny that's funny um i think i i used to be in like straight up sales way back in the day and i think everybody should do a sales job once in their life it just gets you over that hurdle of of asking you know like whether you're an inside company or an entrepreneur you just you learn you learn how to ask which is hard for people for sure. Well, there's a something I love called the lost lamb. And it's you call and you first ask for help before you say anything else. Hey, I'm sorry, can you help me? And everyone will say yes. And then they'll help you. 
really nice. A little manipulative. Sorry. No, no, no. We're humans. We love to help. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's it's in our nature. Yeah. That's great advice, by the way. Just as a reminder to all of us who are, even if you're pitching an idea, right, in front of a, in a conference room, like, let me ask for your help. Like, let's start by, I need some help from you guys. Yeah. And, and then it shows vulnerability and honesty. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? Here's the reality. I think, Taylor, is we need it, right? We don't have all the answers and we don't, we don't always know. And I think sometimes the mistake that we make in trying to get buy-in for our ideas is we launch into convincing mode. And what we don't do first is get engaged for the room. Like, where is everybody in the room that I'm dealing with or even one-on-one so that I can meet them where they are and then try to move them forward? We just try to move them forward because obviously I have an amazing PowerPoint and it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I, I haven't heard it put that way. And I absolutely agree. Convincing mode versus, uh, you know, questioning mode, inquisitive mode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we just need to communicate versus convince. Nobody wants to be convinced. Nobody wants to have brilliance pushed on them. So will you share? So I love how you deal with obstacles. Will you? And I love that obstacles is a to-do list. I think that's a great challenge for a lot of us to do later. And I love that book is to, I'm going to list out all my obstacles and see what my next yeah. Is. I love that. Yeah, and, and you know it's very empowering um, because mm, it, so? it shows. Well, I guess for me personally, um, it's it's a, it's a lot like the process of, of laying out a goal and breaking it down into smaller steps. You know, it, it, it's kind of the same principle. Um, I also kind of have a bit of an, a crazy. I'm a little mad. I have a bit of a crazy attitude that I can truly overcome any obstacle. <laughs> Um, through, you know, some combination of perseverance and charisma or whatever it is. And another book that I really love is Grit by Angela Duckworth. Um, you know, really, I, I can't say how more, it's just the company, I, we're still at a stage where the company is me. And so when I give up, you know, I di- when they, I die, the company dies, but the company doesn't die unless I die. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that perseverance is just so important. You know, someone said to me the other day, they they were saying, you know, Tamara, you have a lot of confidence. And I said, and at first I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, I, I don't feel like I think I know it all. And they were like, no, no, no. You're, you're very clear that you don't know it all, but you're very clear that you'll figure it out. Like if there's an obstacle in front of you, you may not know how to do it originally, but you'll figure out how to overcome it. And I thought that was the best compliment ever. Like you don't have all the answers, but you're confident that you can find the answers. And I think actually there's a little bit of relief in that for people out there listening of like, if you're worried that you need to know, you don't need to know. You just need to believe that you can figure it out. That's all. Exactly. Exactly. 110%. So I'm, I, I have to, I have to ask, I have to know of that obstacle list that became your to-do list. Give me, give me an example of one of the things that made it on there and kind of what that turned into. Oh gosh. Um, okay. Well, I think probably, you know, uh, I did an MBA, so I've got, you know, a, a decent understanding of, of finance, but one skill set that I was lacking between myself and the scientists who who put together the product was that finance side. Um, and uh, so having a CPA who was invested in the company, not just as a as like a, a, a fractional kind of distant relation, but actually someone who fully understood it with me and was on my team and and like fully invested in the same way that I was in the company um, from a values perspective. Like that was a huge obstacle that I felt like I desperately needed to solve. I did fill the role with the wrong person at one time. 
Uh, and I did learn from that experience. Um, and uh, in the end, you know, as I said, asking for help, I ended up meeting meeting that person through my coach, my business coach, and through an accelerator. And I don't think I would have gotten those introductions if I hadn't shown that perseverance and the, the struggle and the consistency to move on to those mentors of mine to give them the confidence that they could make that introduction almost, you know? Yeah. So I, I got to say, Taylor, one of the things I'm really appreciating about this is your kind of constant theme about um, asking for help and talking to people. And I know that's part of the collaborative and the inquisitive of like asking questions, connecting with people. But I think all too often, the thing that holds us back, or maybe I'm just talking about myself, is the lack of willingness to ask for help, right? Because you think, well, I look stupid, I should know this, um, I look dumb, and, and you don't, right? Actually, quite the opposite happens. Nobody expects you to know everything ever. I mean, when, when like you said earlier, when someone asks me for help, like I weep to help them out most of the time. Of course, I want to help. So, and, and I want to say the, thing, the other thing I'm really appreciating in that help vein is, you know, I think the narrative out there is that it's like the entrepreneur is the lone inventor in their garage, you know, and like there's one person really, yeah, and figured (laughs) it out. They're doing it all by themselves, but that is 99. Well, I don't know. It's not even 99.9. It has never been the case that it's one person, right? There's always a team behind them. I think, I think a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, executives kind of begin to build their own cult of personality where they play into that self-made man or self-made woman myth in order to help boost their personality power. But in reality, it's not possible because they weren't born business people. Um, Sorry. (laughs) You know, like Elon Musk wasn't saving the world as a baby. Um, Right. Well, and I think too, the reality is for a lot of people with ideas, and there's nothing wrong with this, I would definitely put myself in this camp, we know what we know really well, but we don't know the other parts of leadership, business, like whatever it is, fill in the blank. So it's okay to, to know like, hey, I, this is the lane that I'm really good in and I'm really proud of this and I need help in these other lanes to, to build. Yeah. You know, uh, when raising capital for the business, one of the things that I, I think hurts me the most is that I'm raising money to other people's money to allow me to make mistakes. Um, and that was something that, I really, you know, learned better because I raised a friends and family round. And, uh, you know, I had one of these investors, uh, a family of ours. And uh, um, she basically, she said to me, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not know what you're doing. And we believe in you. And that's why we're investing in you. And that was really, really powerful um, to allow me to not be so stressed, (laughs) Uh, I guess. Um, And... Uh, I, that's not to say that I'm going out to raise capital to make mistakes. I, I think that friends and family around actually allowed me to make a lot of the mistakes early that will will allow me to scale the company a lot more efficiently. Um, but you know, nevertheless, that is something that every founder kind of has to do. And so, it's not all about the money. It's not all about the business plan. It's about who you are. What is your relationship with that person as well? Well, and I think though there's a second layer to that too, which is. Um, Knowing that it's okay to make mistakes meaning means that you will probably make decisions that you believe are truly right in the moment, as opposed to, I think if we are afraid of making mistakes, what actually happens is we, our decision-making actually falters and we make decisions based on minimizing failure in a way that minimizes the decision. And sometimes we uh, leverage consultants in order to 
make decisions that we're afraid to make based on their advice, even though they don't know our business as well as we do. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that. So I, I won't go into the, like the details, but I used to do new product development consulting, right? I like Mills, Procter & Gamble, like all those guys would hire me to come in and help them figure out their next product. And, and over the years, the biggest frustration I had is nothing went anywhere. And even the best ideas, right? Never went anywhere. But the reality is, it's because they were from the outside. And what what I think the consulting world misses is, it's not about bringing new ideas in. It's about figuring out what's already inside people's heads and pulling that out. And so that kind of goes to what you were saying. Um, you know, you brought BinBreeze is incredibly innovative in itself. You've got a team of people. You're kind of headed to the next stage. How do you think about innovation and driving innovation every day, kind of as a whole for yourself and the people you lead? Great question. Um, I'm learning that I need to be more structured about it. And I'm learning to do more structured ideation sessions where I bring everyone in and you know help explain concepts and form those ideas together as opposed to them being ideas that are these kind of intangibles that if I can't communicate now, they'll get later, you know? Um, so I'm really enjoying that process of, of having structured time. And it also allows them to, you know, not have to worry that I'm going to throw a wrench into something with a new idea at another time. You know, this is our set period of time for exploring these kinds of things. Um, and that, you know, kind of puts a safety net around, um, around that, that process, because, you know, as a, let's call it a ADHD entrepreneur, I, I have 10 ideas a day. I really do. And, um, a lot of them are bad, <laughs> you know, that's the reality of it. And I, and I rely on the people in my team to tell me when they're bad and they need to have the confidence and, and not be afraid to when they need to do that. How, how do you, so that's an interesting thing because I think and it's come up a few times now of, you know, we need to create a culture where ideas are seen as just as good from the CEO as from the receptionist, the junior consultant to the VP, right? Like everybody needs to have equal weight on their ideas. And I'm, what my 25 years have taught me is that the best ideas come from the most unexpected places. It's actually not us at the top because we're actually, we become more and more removed as the business gets bigger and bigger. And it's the people who are out there talking to customers, dealing with the manufacturing plants in the distribution channels. They're actually the ones with the good ideas. How do you think about pulling, not just your ideas communicating, but pulling those out of your people? Goodness. That's such a, such a deep question. I don't know if I have enough people to really, uh, to answer that question yet, because there's not so many levels of authority. We have a very flat organization right now. Um, and so it is easy to do that. Um, I like to really empower, I like to bring in co-op students who are bright young co-op students and really empower them around their ideas um, and tell them my own story and most importantly relate to the fact that I was them not so long ago. Um, that I think helps them build confidence and, and share good ideas with the team. Um, but I think I, I think I'm still I'm still answering that. You know, one thing I have noticed is that a lot of our opportunity has come from interviewing the lower level people at other organizations. And so, you know, one example would be the composting haulers. Uh, these guys telling me that they're picking up empty bins. Um, I think I think there maybe was like a financial incentive for the for the organizations to continue the the pickup services. Um, yeah, I, but. And, and that's leaving opportunity for other people to enter the market, I, I think. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I guess what I mean to say is I hope that uh, that CEOs don't think that they need to go undercover boss just in order to, to get some insights. You know, you, you need to 
break down those barriers between you and the other staff members if you're actually going to be effective at running your company, in my opinion. I got to say, so I watch that show periodically. I'm not a big kind of cable TV watcher, but I watch it periodically. I'm always, the thing that always gets me, so I'm the wrong person to watch the show, because the thing that gets me is how did they not know that already? Like how yeah. are they never in their restaurants or are they never at their hospital? Or they never, you know, whatever it is, like, how did they not know that was a problem? Like it, it blows my mind sometimes. And I think the point I'm trying to make is not about them. They're all very smart people is you've got to stay connected to all of those levels. And I hope that, you know, as you guys grow and become wildly successful as you will, that you don't lose that flat hierarchy in the sense of collaboration and ideas. I think all too often when companies get big, they lose that because you need more structure, right? You need some hierarchy. There are places where you need all of that, but then people lose their ability to contribute. And that's really important. And, you know, I I thought I could do like a split where I had some structured roles that just did structure. And then I had other team members that I engage more, but it's hard because the people who announce structured roles want to break, want to be participate in the larger ideas, even though they've got other work to focus on. Um, So these are things I'm learning too. Yeah, I I love, love what you're saying. I love it. Um, So what advice do you have for other everyday innovators of all type? You're collaborative inquisitive, but of all types who are looking to do what you've done and find, I'll say not just build an innovative product, but also I think that the brilliance in what you did is you found a completely different way to solve the problem that couldn't be solved in the other way, but we're all over here focusing on the wrong thing. Like it turns out the opportunities over here. So I, I don't know if I'll ever have as good an idea as Disney's. I really don't, you know, with all the different doors that it's opened since we just started with the concept, like I really don't. But what I will say is, uh, you know, it's my belief that, um, you know, sustainability is becoming an increasingly important issue over the next future. And it's basically the next big revolution in human history. You know, we had the industrial revolution. Well, now we're about to have the sustainable revolution where in order to survive as a species we need to adapt to living on this planet in a, in a you know less impactful way and so when you're betting against that you're you're betting against humanity and that's actually not a very sound historical bet we generally do pretty well and so recognizing that we are going to make this change and that sustainability is the future well now you have the opportunity as an entrepreneur to go and reinvent anything that is unsustainable because you will be able to displace it in the market in, at some point. So, you know, the green revolution is here and everything we do from like cars to transport to packaging, everything is being reinvented. And if you're sitting on the sidelines thinking, oh, that'll never happen. Like, come on, like wake up to the changing of the world. Does the, does the world look like it looked 70 years ago, 100 years ago? You know, are you still using a rotary phone? Wake up. That that's how I really feel about it. With for a lot of people, like like technology progress, it happens. Deal with yeah. it. I I'm with you. I mean, I think we need to give people the skills and the ability to to keep up, oftentimes. But I think that it's happening whether we like it or not. Like it's not. There's no turning back from where we are. And I think the last few years actually accelerated a lot of technological change that we wouldn't have seen had this kind of whole COVID thing not happened across the globe. Um, and you know what I really the thing I just want to say that gets me really excited about this, Taylor, is um, you know back in my consulting days, I dealt with a, I, I worked on branding and innovation for, for various green products, and I won't name them because I don't want to throw them under the bus. But the thing that they always I thought that they were missing when they came to us was the human connection 
and the convenience connection. And not just making it personal, but also making it so freaking easy and beneficial for me that I'll do it. Because the reality, I'm sure you found this, is we want to, right? We want to do good. I think generally speaking, humans want to do good. But if it's not something that can fit into our life, it becomes very hard for us to overcome the inertia of like the energy to do something different. And I don't think that's bad. I think it's human nature, but your bin breeze has done that in a distinctly powerful way. Yeah. Well, you know, California just passed a law saying that every business and consumer has to compost their food waste. And um, so we're really excited about going to that market in particular, going into restaurants that have fruit fly problems because they're not realizing that their food waste is what's causing that problem. And, and using bin breeze and composting is actually a solution to their business operation and, and, and customer perception problems. Um, and, and so sustainability is the better path for them as opposed to putting things in the landfill, you know? Well, yeah, no, I love it. And I think sustainability is one of those words that either you feel like you have to be all or none. Like I have to be a hippie and live on a commune and grow all my food, you know? Or I'm not part of it, but it turns out there's all these little things that we can do that actually do add hey, up both on the composting business. Composting your food waste is like taking a car off the road. Why an average household? So, you know, there's, I think that, yeah, you know, just like you said, all or nothing, I think everyone's looking for one solution to climate change. It's not going to be one solution. It's going to be a thousand, all of them acting in concert, everyone doing, working together. It's, it's you know, this whole um, all or nothing mentality or that sustainability has to define you just because you want to make some healthier choices is total bull. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest things for me is how do you, what emotions come to you when you think of sustainability? Are you, are you getting a negative emotions or are you getting positive emotions? And so for me, making sustainable changes is about making small changes and then, you know, thanking myself for doing them, thinking about them, positively enforcing them in my mind and positively reinforcing others for doing them not calling them out on the things that they are struggling with or the changes that are hard to make in their life. You need to encourage the positive ones so that they are willing to adapt more and learn, not have these negative, uh, you know, all right, yeah, every piece of trash I ever made still exists. I'm a monster, you know. I think what you just said is incredible advice in itself, which is reinforce the positives so that you get more of the behavior change you're looking for. We focus so easily on negative. So I think that's great advice to end on. This has been so great. I've got one last question for you, which is what's one thing we'd be surprised to learn about you? Um, I think I think the one thing that I most often people are surprised about is that I wasn't very green, you know, in my in my, my teens. You know, I didn't care about the environment. Um, I, I cared about politics and humans and, and human rights, and that was something I was passionate about. But um there's this opportunity for everybody to come to this realization and it, and it's not, doesn't have to be this hugely awful experience. You know, it's not about what you've done in your past. It's about the decisions you make in the future. And, um, and so don't ever, you know, don't ever feel like just because of, of how things have been in the past, you can, you can't change how you choose to be in the future. I live much more sustainably now, but does that mean I'm not a hypocrite? No, I'm in a gas powered vehicle because I can't afford a Tesla. You know, like at the end of the day, their um, hypocrisy doesn't matter. It's not relevant to the, the the larger picture, which is trying to make an impact and save the planet. And so, um, you know, I, I'm going to try and make an impact and save the planet. I'm going to do it in a net zero way um, if I possibly can. But and then I'm going to write on a sticky note when we get off this this interview of 
Don't let your past dictate your decisions in the future. And I think that's great advice to run across work and life and really everything. So Taylor, thank you so much for joining thank me. You. Uh, really excited about Bin Breeze, but really great insights in here for everybody as well. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.